So we'll jump into the message now. For the past two weeks, we've heard an, the announcement of a birth uh, from in two different places. It's been to Elizabeth and Zechariah with the announcement of John the Baptist, and then it was to Mary with the birth of Jesus. These two parallel stories. And this morning, those stories intersect into the next passage as we be, just continue this walk of the Gospel according to Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me, follow along, or just listen as we go. We're in verse 39, verse 39, Luke 1, verse 39. We'll read up to verse 56. Here's what Luke records here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. There is so much in this passage. Now, if you remember last week, that moment where Gabriel appears to Mary and says that she is blessed, she is most favored. And we noted that there's a mistranslation on that in the Latin Vulgate from centuries ago that actually say that Mary is full of grace. And we noted that that mistranslation has been uh, carried through the centuries in that prayer, the Hail Mary, particularly in the Roman Catholic tradition. And we noted there that it is not that Mary is full of grace as if she is the one who gives out grace. We noted that actually here it is Mary who is receiving grace. She is not favored because somehow she holds a lot of grace. No, she has received grace. She is blessed because of God's grace, not because something about her. And here, as we step into the next passage, we've got to say a few more things about Mary. Because for centuries there have been traditions that have held that Mary is to be venerated, not just venerated, but in some places, particularly in South America uh, and, and the, in the Latin American regions, Mary's actually worshipped. And this goes way too far. But you, got, you have a place here in Luke 1 where it would seem that this could be justified. We'll just take note of how Luke writes the account. Let's just take note. Here are some key parts of the passage that could be appealed to. 
Luke 1, verses 42 through 45, in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, note what she says, blessed are you among women. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. There are multiple occasions here. Blessed are you among women. You are favored. You are blessed. And it would seem here that this would be justification for holding Mary up on a very high pedestal. So much so that we would pray for her, to her for her intercession. And then in some traditions, particularly in Latin America and some other parts of the world, she would even be worshipped. Some would even consider her a co-redeemer with Christ. That would be a bridge too far. The text does not take us there. Mary is blessed. And yes, she is. She is blessed. She is favored. She is blessed. Let's just, we'll just walk through those verses and those key words. She is blessed not because she is perfect, but because of God's grace to her. Here again is another example of God's grace to this woman. It's not that Mary was somehow sinless before she ever got to this moment. It is that God's grace has been poured out on her to show her great favor. And we to this day still call her blessed. There's a reason Luke puts her at such a key place in the story of Christ. She's a key part of the coming of Christ. We do not in any way downgrade Mary, but we do not upgrade her to worship. We just don't do that. Now here's the thing. Right inside of Mary's song, so if we fast forward into the passage, Mary herself acknowledges She's not perfect. Remember verse 47. We'll just note it here. She said, as we, as we take in the song, the first part of the song, she says at that point, my spirit, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Perfect people don't need saviors. Imperfect people need saviors. Mary knows she needs a Savior. And here she calls out in this song to her Savior. So that brings us to this point, which I really like the way one commentator said it. Often academics can be very wordy. Not this one, at least not in this place. You don't, can't do much better than this summary. Here's what he says. Mary is a model of faith rather than the object of faith. A model of faith. We look to Mary as a model for what it means to have faith. To have faith when all else seems impossible. Mary is a model of faith, not an object. We do not worship her, but we do look at her example. And so let me just, like, I just want to like, push on that just in one way. Like one way we may, we may look in on the example of Mary, and that is, this is a woman who was spilling over with the Bible. So this song she sings, this song about how God brings down the proud and lifts up the humble, this song about how God has, been, uh, has shown favor to His servant, this song is just full of hyperlinks, these references back into the Old Testament. I mean, it's like she had her Hebrew Bible open and just started pulling passages from all over the Old Testament to word her prayer. One scholar actually notes that as she's walking to Elizabeth, which would have been a multi-hour journey, Mary, as she's thinking about all that has been told to her, she is actually pulling on all the scriptures she had memorized over those, those years of her life up to this point, and she's actually crafting this song that just comes out of her when she shows up at Zechariah and Elizabeth's house. 
full of Scripture. One in particular that most people will always go to is that song from another woman. We noted her last week. Her name's Hannah. Hannah could not have kids. There was another woman that her husband was married to, and she had kids like every week. She was having a kid. And, and, And Hannah couldn't understand, why is God not showing me this favor? And then there's a moment where God said, you will have a child. This child's going to be Samuel, this, this, this prophet who has such a major impact on the history of salvation. He will be the one who anoints David. David will be the one through whom the Messiah will come. The Messiah will reign on the throne of David. All that's going to start with this prophet Samuel. And that's going to start with his mother, Hannah. When God tells Hannah she's going to have a baby, very much like God telling Mary she's going to have a baby, Hannah also breaks out into song. That song Hannah sung sounds a lot like the one years later Mary sings. Take a look. We'll just take an excerpt from the passage, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, 7 and 8. Just look at the similarities. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And the Lord, my horn, is lifted high. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. That's what happened to Hannah. This lowly woman is exalted because of God's favor. Mary picks up that prayer and she spins it in a new way. Sounds very similar. Now, it's not, just, it's not just Hannah's prayer, though, from 1 Samuel chapter 1. She's pulling from all over the Old Testament. Now, for the sake of time, I just want to quote one commentator who notes how significant this is, rather than quoting all the different places from the Old Testament that she might be pulling from. Here's what one commentator says. Too good not to quote. Mary's song does not repeat the actual words of Hannah's. Rather, it is a... a Sorry, I, sometimes when, when, when people put words together this well, I just have to stop. You might look at sunsets, I look at sentences. It is a collage of echoes of psalms and other polit- uh, poetic sections of the Old Testament. Love it. A collage of echoes. Man, I would love that to be the way I pray, but my prayers are a collage of echoes of the Scriptures. I'm not there yet, but what an image. Okay. She quotes from or alludes to verses from Genesis, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. We could go look at all those places. Mary tried to put virtually the whole Bible into her song. That's an example worth following. That right there. To be a Bible-saturated person so that when you pray, it just spills out of you. And people, people could just, could just l- listen to a prayer or hear you talk and be thinking all the different places you're pulling from. And yet you've crafted it. You've put together a collage of echoes in such a way that is able to minister in that moment. I, that's the kind of person I want to be. I'm not there yet. But that Mary's example just points us there. But Mary's not the center of the story, is she? She's just not. She's not the center of the story. And that actually becomes very clear when you go to the front part of the story. So she walks into the house, and what happens? John the Baptist, in the belly of Elizabeth, just starts leaping for joy. 
take a look just so we can be clear. We're right here in the passage. The baby leaped in her womb. Now, would you mind if I, second week in a row, just note, it doesn't say fetus. This is a baby. Because when things are conceived in second one, that's life. That's life. And so now life is jumping. It, it has emotion already. All right. The baby leaped at her womb. And then again, later in the passage, Elizabeth even says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And why did John the Baptist leap for joy? Because Jesus showed up. Mary could have showed up two months before. Nothing's going to be leaping. But now that Mary, now the mother of Jesus shows up. He leaps for joy. And you do remember what John the Baptist's job is going to be. We're going to study this weeks from now. He is the herald of Christ. He's the one that declares the Christ is coming. So when, when, when Jesus is about to go into his public ministry, John the Baptist is the first one who begins to declare, this is Jesus. Jesus has come. Some commentators note that this is the first moment where John the Baptist begins to herald the coming of Christ. Even in the belly of Elizabeth, he is declaring Christ. Now, he couldn't use words, but he could spin around. And I'm sure Elizabeth felt it. John the Baptist is declaring, pointing us to this one, this Christ. Now, just John the Baptist, Elizabeth herself is pointing there. Take a look. Let's just take a look here. Elizabeth says, she says, like, why am I, like, why do I get the benefit here? Why am I so favored? And notice what she says, the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now, you and I might just write, pass right on by when we see that phrase, my Lord. But when she says, and Luke records, my Lord, that is... Uh, that is such a powerful hyperlink back into the Old Testament. It would be like me standing here and saying, I have a dream. And immediately your mind goes to Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, you just go right there to Washington, D.C. when he gave that famous speech. All I have to say is I have a dream. That's the same kind of thing happening when Luke makes sure to record these words from Elizabeth. Because at this point... The church is there. I mean, we have Christians on the ground. This, this gospel, this record of Jesus is going to be read by Christians. And the fact that he picks, of all the things Elizabeth said in that moment, that he picks that sentence to put into his gospel, it's a massive hyperlink. It's a hyperlink back to a psalm. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110, verse 1. Take a look. David. David writes this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Just so you can just if we you put some different words there so we grab what's happening. David is saying God, the father says to God, the son, which is David's Lord, sit at my right hand. This is David acknowledging the coming of the Messiah. He's having, by inspiration of vision, that God is saying to Messiah, who is David's Lord, to sit at his right hand and he's going to make his enemies a footstool of his feet. 
This looks forward to the day when Messiah would show up. And He's going to come from the line of David. This psalm is so significant that Christians pick it up. And this is a key passage that proves Jesus is the Son of David, the rightful heir to the throne forever and ever, and yet also identified with God Himself. Not so insignificant that Jesus Himself actually picks it up. Take a look. In Luke, later in Luke, remember, we're studying Luke. Luke wrote Luke 1. Luke records Luke 20. These things are connected. Luke 20, verse 41 through 44. It's on the, this is in the last week of Jesus' life. Maybe you remember this encounter. Then Jesus said to them, this is to the religious leaders, Why is it said? Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now this question stumps the religious leaders. What we know is that the Messiah would be from the line of David, but also God himself. They had not worked that out. Jesus himself knew who he was. And Psalm 110 verse 1 is a key passage for identifying who Jesus is. So when Elizabeth says, my Lord, this is a significant moment. So let's summarize it. Here's what I want to say to summarize all that we've said about my Lord. That phrase, my Lord, is shorthand for saying that Mary's child is the promised Messiah. And he is identified with God himself. Mary might be blessed, but her child is Elizabeth's Lord. So John the Baptist and Elizabeth, both of these, both of these people in this moment, they're not looking to Mary, they're looking to Jesus. The center of this story is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not John the Baptist. It's not Elizabeth. It's not Zechariah. It's not Mary. It's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's who's at the center of the story. And just in case we miss all of that at this point, let's just step right into the song. This is that those verses. This would be verses 46 through 55. Now, some of you may have grown up and you know this has a different name. It's not called Mary's Song. It's called the Magnificat. Some of you might know it as the Magnificat. That's because the first word in the Latin translation is Magnificat. It's where Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now, that's the NIV translations. Most other translations have Mary declaring, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, that's, that, that's a significant word. One commentator says it this way. He says this, I just like the way he, he, he puts the song in context. To magnify means to enlarge. And what Mary wanted to enlarge was her vision of God. Her goal was to show His greatness. She wanted to magnify God, not her own position as the mother of the Son of God. She knew that she was blessed because of who God was, not because of who she was. It's very important. This is all about God. This is all about His glory and His majesty. Actually, she highlights three things. She highlights His power. She highlights uh, His holiness. And she highlights His steadfast love, also translated mercy. Take a look. Right inside the song, in the middle of the song, a key section, she says, The Mighty One, Holy His Name, His Mercy, Mighty Deeds. She points this song 
to a grand vision of who God is. So important. In this moment where she could have talked about all all about herself and all that God's doing through her, and this is really all about her and how she's a great person and she's really blessed. What she does is she turns the focus and magnifies this vision of God through His power and His holiness and His steadfast love. Interesting note. Let's go to the next slide. I just want to make mention of something. When we think about when we think about Mary doing all of this magnifying of God, we might think, did she pick that up anywhere? Like, how did she come to this? I might talk about myself more. Mary, if you remember, is a Bible-saturated woman. And she knows that throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms, David and other psalmists are often even when praying for God to do something for them, they will always put the focus back on who God is. Here's an example, Psalm 86. I just want you to see it, how similar these things sound. Here, Psalm of David, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Like This is a prayer. Like, God, I, I need you to do something. But in the prayer of God, I need you to do something. What's the psalmist doing? I just got to talk about you. I just need to talk about you and how good you are. You're slow to anger. You're compassionate. You're full of steadfast love. I just, I'm going to talk about you. Man, that's an example for us. Now, i I got to just note one word Mary uses. It's one we've hit on uh, several weeks ago in here. Take a look. Let's go to this next slide here. She does note His mercy. The translation there uh, for us in English is mercy, but the word there could also be translated steadfast love. If you remember, one of the most used words that God uses to describe himself and others use of God. I don't know if you're doing the Bible reading plan with us, but we're in the book of Ezra. We just finished Ezra today. And Ezra, with the other priests, actually declare that same word. They declare, as they're rebuilding the temple, they declare to God his steadfast love. This is a God who doesn't give up on his people. He will be steady because he's a God who has this kind of love. Well, that word right there, that's the Hebrew word hesed, if you remember. We studied this when we studied Psalm 13, hesed. That's the word for steadfast love, also translated mercy. So when the Hebrew gets translated into Greek, eventually... But there's a moment where the Old Testament goes from Hebrew to Greek. It's just there's this translation. The translators take that Hebrew word hesed and they translate it with the Greek word elias. The word here Mary declares back to God, his mercy is elias. That is a word pregnant with meaning. And here Mary declares back to God, you are steadfast in your love. And, and it's so significant here because Mary knows God sticks with his people. He doesn't just let go of his people, which is why she can know that eventually God's people win in the end. And God gets the glory. That's all part of when she declares your mercy. This is your steadfast love. This is covenant love. You have been faithful to your people. You see how this prayer just turned to God. 
Let me summarize it this way. We'll jump into some application. It's this. Here's a summary of everything we've just said. Mary is no doubt a key character in this passage. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is at the center. I'm going to stop there, you English majors. You may be twitching. I just said three things and used the verb is. What did you want me to use? Are, didn't you? You wanted me to say are. You wanted it to say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are at the center. No, no, God is three in one. little play with the English language to get the point across. You, you writers, you're welcome. It's for you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is at the center. John the Baptist, Elizabeth, and Mary each point to the power, holiness, and steadfast love of Him who is three in one. That's what this whole thing points to. Now, here's some application. I need you to know, as we are about to step into the first point of application, I did not have any of you in mind when I came up with it. And what I'm about to say has none of you in my sights. But some of you are going to think I am. I did not. There is only judgment if the Holy Spirit is giving it to you. Here we go. If we want to be full of faith, we need to be full of the Bible. Now, you know I could say here a lot about how sometimes when people are most down, those are sometimes, and they're Christians, sometimes they're people that don't ever read the Bible. Like, if you want faith, you've got to read the Bible. Okay. And you might expect me here to really press on you. Read the Bible more. And there's a time and place for that. I could, that, that'd be a worthy application. But do you know how many Bibles Mary owned? Zero. Zero. And she wasn't carrying around a Bible on a smartphone. Like, this woman did not have a Bible. Do you know where she learned her Bible? She went to synagogue. She went to synagogue regularly. If the synagogue doors were open, Mary was probably at synagogue. You know where she learned to memorize Scripture? Synagogue. She would go when the people of God gathered. That's where she heard God's Word. That's where she heard long pieces of Scripture. So rather than tell you, read your Bible this week, I think you could do no better than you show up at church every week. You need to be in this building. Now, it could be another building. Listen, you know my opinion on this. I'd love you to be here, but... Just go somewhere where the Bible's being preached and taught. That, that's the point here, not to build up East 10th. Go, go anywhere where they're doing, they're teaching the Scriptures. I was having a conversation with someone this week, and I said, you know what, if you pressed me, and you said, would you rather me read the Bible every day or go to church every Sunday? I'd say, you go to church every Sunday. Because when you go to church every Sunday, you're getting the Bible live. And man, we need it. It hits us in a certain way. We need the Word of God proclaimed. We need to hear it proclaimed. It has always been a key way God grows His people is the Word of God proclaimed. Listen, I know not everyone can get to church. I get it. Like, I do. Like, I understand there are various reasons why people don't go to church. And I know that, like, there are seasons. Like, I get it. Like, this is, this is a busy week and you didn't show up. I'm talking about habits now. You know when you're in the habit of not coming to church. You do. And you will be less for it. If you want lots of Bible, you could do a lot worse than showing up to church on Sunday. Actually, I'd say 
that's the way to start. So if you're in a habit of not coming to church, my admonition to you is you get to church. You need it because you need God's word. And Mary is a perfect example of this. All right. Next one. Here it is. We need to balance our prayers with descriptions of God. The point here is, talk about who God is when you pray. When you think about praying, as well as I often do, what do you think about? Asking God for things, right? Isn't that often what we think about when we think about prayer? It's just asking God for things. All I'm saying is, I think the example of Mary is, gives us a very clear example of what it looks like to balance prayer by declaring who God is as you're asking God for things. Here's what this one commentator said. I couldn't do any better than this. And then we'll drive right to the next step. It is right for us to praise God for what he has done, as Mary did. But sometimes even our worship of God can be somewhat self-centered. As if the really important thing is what God has done for us. We need to look beyond this to see God as he is in himself. And to praise him for being God. Then, when we speak about what God has done for us, as we should, it will be more about Him and less about us. You know how easy it is to make everything about me. The balance needs to be make things about God. Why? Because in Him we move and live and have our being. This was never about us. It is about Him. And you and I will be most happy when He is most glorified. That's what we were built for. So here's the next step. Here's the next step. Very practical. At least I think it's pretty practical. You may have to open up to Psalm 86 and find your language for this. Or maybe Luke 1 and pick up Mary's song. Very practical, though. Emphasize who God is in your prayers this week. I'm not saying don't pray for anything. But when you pray to God for those things, for healing, for peace, for just a good day, make sure to, to, to... To declare to God, because God, you are holy. God, you are mighty. God, you are the Alpha and the Omega. God, you are slow to anger. God, you are full of compassion. God, you are the most worthy thing in the world. Like, start talking to God about who He is. Because in the end, prayer is not about me. It's about Him. So that would be where I would press us. Balance the prayers this week. Just talk about God, about who God is when you pray. Now, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace in giving us your word that transforms us. Thanks for this church family. Thanks for all the churches in the Roanoke Valley that are preaching and teaching your word. We pray, we pray that this would transform us. And we know you are a God who is faithful, full of hessen, full of steadfast love. And we thank you for that. You are slow to anger. You are full of wrath. You are justice. Full of justice. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray it in the name of Him who saved us, Jesus, that you would make all of this true as we give you the glory and we applaud you alone. And together we say, Amen.